I'd like to welcome you all here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad for each one of you that's here. Um, I'm glad that we have so many teachers, and sometimes it seems like we need a few more. So if you have some friends that you can pass the itch on to, that's not all bad. Oh. My name is Neil Hackman. You've probably figured that out already. Uh, my wife, Melissa, is here with me and our four children, Amber, Sadie, Leah, and Regan. We've been looking forward to being here. Um, when I have had, when I have attended in the past, it's been an enjoyable and inspirational, inspirational time to be here. Topic this morning, uh, respect is building blocks. <clears throat> Thinking back um, a few years, I uh, worked as a mason with for my brother-in-law for a little while. And then after that I was when I started teaching school when I was 20 there at our home congregation in North Carolina. You know, as a mason, I worked with bricks, um, and we used a hammer, we used a trowel, and, but I found out that when I came into the classroom that, that students were different than bricks. The occupation was different. It involved quite a bit more because you couldn't just take a hammer to the students uh, like we did with the bricks. And yet, in that, um, and it's probably what keeps us teaching, I guess maybe I shouldn't say us because I'm not teaching currently, but and yet we still teach even if we're not in the classroom, is the fact of the challenge we find in working with individuals. It's, it's a reward, it's a challenge that we don't find in any other occupation. Um, and yet, like I mentioned, we don't have to be teachers to teach. We all teach. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it talks about God's spiritual house. It says, build up a spiritual house acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, by Jesus Christ, there's being a, a spiritual house built up. And he's saying they're using lively stones. So, instead of bricks as a mason, as teachers, we are working with lively stones. We're working with stones that God desires to put into his spiritual house. So we could ask the question, how important is respect? Sometimes when we think of respect, we wish that we could go back a number of years to a time in history when everyday respect was required and expected of, of most everybody. But respect is so much more than just an antiquated term. And it is actually a scriptural concept and is something that is necessary to live a life that is acceptable to God. 
Respect begins with a proper view of God, and it translates down into a proper view of ourselves. Respect is a package, and it needs to become a way of life for us. So I like to think of understanding respect. So respect um, as a noun is the act of looking back or a high or special regard. And as I looked at that definition, so we have the, uh, the word respect in I never thought of it in this way before until I got looking at it in the dictionary. And so we think of re means to go back. Um, and spect, we think of spectacles or inspector or different words that have spect as a root. And it has something to do with looking. And so a, a respect, we look behind us, we see what was before us, and we value it. Respect is a value system. Um, And I like that idea, especially as we think of respect in a Christian sense. We look back, we look behind us to something that has been before us, and we value it. Um, As a verb, um, respect is a transitive verb, and the meaning is to consider worthy of high regard or esteem. To consider worthy of high regard or esteem. I'd like to think about that a little bit. Um, so in the dictionary, when I looked at it, it had the VT behind it, which um, tells us it's a transitive verb. So what's the difference between transitive and intransitive verbs? Uh, we know verbs um, are action words um, a lot of the time. And as teachers, I'm sure you know all the, uh, a lot of the different forms of verbs. But a lot of times when we think of a verb, we think of action. So, a transitive verb is, is something that um, transfers energy from one object to another. We have the subject, the racket is the subject of the sentence. It transfers energy into another object, the, what we call the direct object in an English class. So, if we could illustrate that. Um, the racket transferred energy into the ball. And that's, um, as we think of a transitive verb, I thought that was so fitting for respect. It is something that goes from us to somebody else. Um, It it is transitive. It doesn't stay with us, but it is um, transferred into an object other than ourselves. So, as a contrast, we could look at rebel. And that is an intransitive verb. And the meaning of rebel is to oppose or disobey one in authority. But if we look at the Hebrew meaning of rebellion in the Bible, it says to turn away or to make bitter. And so we have respect on the one hand that looks behind us and values something that is that has went before us, and we follow that. And you have re- rebel on the other hand where it is a... a we say we don't want to follow what's behind us. We're going to turn away from what's behind us and we're going to chart a new course. 
And that's the exact opposite of respect. And so the, that, defi- that Hebrew definition of turning away in rebellion, that's the opposite of respect. And it's interesting that it is an intransitive verb. So what is an intransitive verb? We, we notice that a, uh, a transitive verb has a direct object, something to receive the action of the verb. Now, intransitive verb has a subject, but it does not have a direct object, so it does ha- doesn't have anything to receive the action. And a bell is, is like that. We hear a bell at school, and, and the children a lot of times they may say, the bell rang, and we know everybody's supposed to go in. So the bell rang. It was all, the action was within itself. It did not transfer the action of ringing to anybody else. So that is how rebellion is. It is something that is selfish. It is consumed upon itself. It is not um, benefiting anybody else. So in summary, we could say that the difference between respect and rebel is that respect places value on something other than ourselves. Rebel places value on ourselves. So if you got a handout there, um, on the one side you'll see some lines there with the word spiritual and carnal. Um, We're going to put spiritual here. You have to forgive me if I spell something wrong up here. So by looking at the words respect and rebel, it, from our perspective as Christians, it becomes very quickly apparent the line between the spiritual and the carnal. The one is uh, energy toward someone else, and the other is an energy that is just focused on ourselves. Um, so I have some synonyms here. This is very basic. <clears throat> I guess I uh, had already filled up one of my lines here, so. And over on the rebel, we have some of the opposites. One thing I've noticed, um, and I've noticed it more, probably to my shame, in the last couple of years, um, 
our carnal nature, when we look at what it really is and some of the actions it produces in our life, most of the time we don't really even like to talk about it. We, it's, it's embarrassing um, if we verbalize our, our carnal impulses and, and actions that we sometimes do. Um, and we have to reckon with the fact that we do have a carnal nature as individuals. If we're going to live a truly respectful life, we need to be born again through the power of Jesus Christ. We need to be sanctified. Our life, are those carnal impulses that we feel have to be brought under the power of Jesus Christ. It has to be sanctified as we grow. <clears throat> so we can see that respect is much more than just saying, having a certain form, saying yes, sir, and thank you. And we can also say that we can be, re- we can be rebellious without kicking and screaming and throwing a fit. <clears throat> so let's look at the authority of God. On the other side of your handout, we have a little diagram there. you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord, Created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. He established it, He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is none else. This verse is talking about God, and it also talks about His creation. Because God is Creator, He has divine ownership of all of creation. And God is the source of that. Every human being is a creation of God. There's a diviner ownership there. And for that reason, every person deserves respect. Especially for us as Christians. We are required to respect every individual, no matter who they are, no matter if we don't feel like they deserve respect. We, because of who God is and His divine ownership, we are required to respect in, uh, human beings. Also, we are res- uh, to respect all of creation. Uh, we call that stewardship. And so that is the basis for taking care of school property. Um, bats and balls and gloves and windows, um, floors, whatever it is. Um, These things are God's. We need to use them in a respectful way. So we have creation as uh, a uh, one one part of God and His authority, and that's why we respect those things. So in the center here, we have civil authority. 
And this is another aspect of God, of God's authority. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 for this one. Apostle Paul has some very clear teaching here. Let's read verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, but the powers that be are ordained of God. Now this context is kind of in the context of civil government, and yet I think this verse 1 is true of all authority figures. We have God, we have men that God has put in authority, and we, it says, let every soul be subject, because it is not their power, it is God's power that is um, ordaining them. So, we cannot say that, well, I will respect the church, but I won't respect the laws of the land. We, it, it, because God is at the head of it all, we have to take it as a package. So let's read um, on in chapter 13 here. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist receive to themselves damnation. What originally drew me to this chapter was the thought of, of obeying for conscience sake, but when I read verse 2, I realized it was more than just obeying for conscience. It says, whoever resists the power that God puts up receives to himself damnation. It's a serious thing to disrespect, disregard authority that God has set up. And God disrespect is punished by God, according to verse 2. Let's read verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and have, thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. <clears throat> for some reason, probably because of our carnal nature, we tend to shy away from authority. We don't like authority, naturally. Um, but here it's saying, if you do what is right, you don't have to fear. If you do what is wrong, then you should be afraid. Um, he beareth not the sword in vain. And remember, if you're in violation, then you're the villain. Even if it's something that you feel like is justifiable, we are get pretty good at that in our minds. We think, well, in this case, the law doesn't apply, even though it says this and so. And we give ourselves a loophole to... And therefore, when we come across authority, then we become afraid because we know we have been in violation and possibility of facing consequences. So where do we see the motto to serve and protect? Someone help me with that. What's that in connection to? To serve and to protect. Law enforcement. Law enforcement, that's right. I... Um, First noticed that on some of the police cars in Legrand, they had that printed on the back fender, to serve and to protect. 
Um, so that's what the police force is there for. It's not just to be afraid of. Um, they're actually there to serve and to protect. And like I said before, if we are the ones in violation, then they are protecting someone else from us. <clears throat> and I think we need to re- think of that concept in when we think of authority, that authority is given by God for service and for protection. Verse 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience. And uh, so you, you all, most of you here are directly involved in school. You have a lot of little people that see you every day, that admire you. Um, so what happens, um, you know, we have first graders in our school. And by Christmas time, maybe by Thanksgiving, they're starting to read simple words. So as you get down the road, they watch the signs and they read the words on the signs. So what happens if they're following their school teacher to, to church one Sunday morning? The parents happen to be following the school teacher and the students recognize the car. But when they get to a sign that they read and it says stop and the school teacher kind of slides through. You know, to a first grader, stop means stop, right? But to some of the rest of us, stop means look both ways and nobody's coming. But like uh, Brother Bing uh, brought out this morning, you know, the neighbors here watch that. But it's not just the neighbors, and it's not just if nobody sees us, but it is we are, we are forming concepts. Um, we are giving impressions by our everyday life and by how we respond to civil authority. So if we give ourselves a little bit of room to disobey, say, civil authority, it can become a stumbling block to these little children or to somebody else, maybe the neighbors. So on this last side here, we have uh, the church. So we have Christ as the head of the church. running myself into trouble here. So, as we think of the headship order that we have in the Bible, um, we have God, Christ, man, woman. Um, So Christ is head of the church, and then we have man, which in this case would be teachers. And then we have students. So I would like for us as we look at this drawing here, we have God as a source of authority. We have his authority in creation and our responsibility to um, be stewards of that. We have civil authority and we have Christ in the church. And so this, I would look at this as the authority system that we relate to. And it is, it is all 
God is at the source of it all, so we must take it as a package. We can't separate it out and say, I'm going to do this, but not this. So let's turn to Ephesians 5, and this passage does not mention teachers specifically. Fathers would probably be the closest it would come to be mentioning teachers. But the thing that I find in this passage is the beauty of the relationship between authority figure and those that are under him. <clears throat> Ephesians 5. Let's, let's start reading at verse 21. We'll read down through Ephesians. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. We'll read down to chapter 6, verse 4. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, I'm sorry, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the lord the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long. On the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if we look at verses 23 and 24, it says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So we have that headship order here. Um, so instead of wife and husband, we have students and teachers. We have the church and we have Christ. The teacher is the head of his classroom, but he is under the church. Christ is the example here in verse 25 of selfless authority. Verse 25, the last part, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Selfless authority. It's easy from this passage to see that, that God requires respect. We have terms like the church is to be subject. Um, the first verse that we read, verse 21, said submitting yourselves. 
um, the wives are to submit and the children to obey. It's easy to see God requires submission. God requires respect. Yet Godly authority truly loves. It gives itself. Godly authority gives itself for. um, And here again we have that concept to serve and to protect. Is a scriptural concept. Authority is to serve and to protect. So we, we notice that Christ loves and gave himself for the church. And in verse 25, it told us that the husband was to love his wife. You know, the wife was to submit, but the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Christ gave everything. And that's what he is asking husbands to do in their line of authority. And in verse 28, it goes on to say they're supposed to love their wife as their own body. There's not, no limit to the love that you're required to give to your spouse. As an authority figure, that's what's required of you is, is to love as Christ loved. And love just as much as you love your own body. And he goes on to say, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. We take good care of ourselves. Um, we also have the father and the child in, in chapter 6. It says, children obey. And it says, honor your father and your mother. But then in verse 4 it says, Fathers, provoke not, but bring up in the nurture. You know, I just love that picture of authority and its subjects. And how God wants authority to work itself out. So the third point here is receiving authority. We could ask ourselves, where does our authority come from? Each of us here in this audience, where does our authority come from? Um, Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Verses 5 to 9. Matthew 8, 5 to 9. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So the centurion said, I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. He, he recognized the headship of authority. He was in civil authority, and he was down the line a bit. Um, and, and yet he knew that the ones who were under him had to obey but he knew that he was under command as well. Um, So where do we get our authority? We look at Christ and the church. Our authority comes from God ultimately, but it comes down through Christ and the church to the school. That's where our authority comes from. So when we're hired, we're not given the choice of whether we will accept this authority or not. We just, 
when we accept the job, we receive the authority from the church. Um, so this piece of wood here says to train up a child. So we could use this as an example of authority. And when we take our job as teachers, it's like the school board hands us our authority and we receive it. It is not something we can get away from. We can't decide whether we're going to have it or not. As our position of responsibility, the authority goes along with it. Responsibility and authority always go hand in hand. And we have authority to carry out our responsibility. Okay, so we receive authority when we're hired. But we do not receive respect. Um, Respect must be earned. I want to clarify that a little bit. Our students are required to respect us as authority. They're required to show respect to us. But true respect that comes from their heart has to be earned. We are called to require them to respect, but we have to earn the true respect. So the proper use of authority is how we earn respect. Proper use of authority is how we earn respect. And we cannot build a relationship without respect. Remember how we talked about the definition of respect? The definition of respect was to value. We talked about it as a value system. So to have a relationship, we must value that other person. So we need to be someone that they value and we value them and then there can be a, uh, a relationship. You cannot build a relationship without respect. So we could say true mutual respect is or equals relationship, a good relationship. <clears throat> So what happens to my authority if I step out from under my source of authority? Um, so just say we have some ideas and we decide we're going to kind of come over here and move ourselves over and our students. We're going to keep that line, but we're going to kind of come over here. After all, maybe we feel like the school board's a little backwards. You know, they went to school 25 years ago and they don't keep up with everything. Um, And so we decide in our own carnal self, we decide, well, I'd be better off to move myself out from under what is behind me and chart a new course. We are turning away. We're in rebellion. Um, So what happens to our authority that we receive from the church? If we take ourselves out from under... The authority. I believe in this side of authority right here, the, the headship order of Christ in the church, if we choose to take ourselves out from under the authority that's over us, then we essentially, because we receive that authority from them, if we separate ourselves from them, we lose our authority as a teacher. It's important for us to realize that we are men 
under authority. So in working in Christ's kingdom, our authority comes from God and it comes down through the proper headship order. That's how God designed it. So we talked a little bit about where our authority comes from. And so how do we use our authority? Um, Like I mentioned before, authority is given to us. We need to accept it. Um, We don't need to try to prove it. We don't need to try to display it. But... We just accept it for its purpose. So what is the purpose of our authority? We already mentioned authority and responsibility go hand in hand. So we use our authority to fulfill our responsibility. Remember that God has given authority to serve and to protect. We use our authority to fulfill Fill our responsibility never for selfish purposes. Our responsibility is to teach. We establish classroom rules and procedures to enhance learning and to aid proper relationships. We do this with the authority that has been given to us. But as in good relationships, you know, you notice people that have a good relationship in their marriage, the husband and wife, you hardly notice that headship order that we know is there because they work together and yet the husband is in authority and the wife chooses to submit. But in the day-to-day workings, as they work together, you hardly notice the authority. And so our authority is not for display. It is for a purpose. And that lies largely unnoticed off to the side until it is challenged, um, until it is disregarded. And then they notice the authority that you have been given. So true respect is founded in God. Our response of respect is characterized by value in God's design and his purposes and a surrender of our own carnal will. We are a man under authority. True respect is a package. It's a way of life. May God bless you. Thank you for your attention.